0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's medical, magical medical tour. <laughs> I'm Christina Suzuma. And with me, of course, I have our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Glenn. <laughs>
1: Hello, Christina. Hello, Segovia. Uh, Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Magical Medical Tour. (laughs) (laughs) I I (laughs) want to keep saying
0: mystery again. It's such a mystery out there.
1: (laughs) It's always a mystery. I I never know which part is going to come at me at each time. (laughs) But uh, hopefully I'll be guiding everybody uh, today as we travel through the healthcare galaxy uh, each week looking for uh, ways to achieve optimal health mm. greetings Segovia greetings Christina How are you both today
0: oh brilliant brilliant on this nice gorgeous warm day finally here in LA it's
1: beautiful in the world today oh, or in is. many parts of the world anyway
0: you know Glenn it was How so was funny <clears throat> oh the uh, busy as usual <laughs> but you know what was what was really interesting as you were talking just now and I was going back from magical to you know medical to all these things I envision, what? what's the, you know, you know the Harry Potter series and they have Vigna. Dumbledore. I envisioned you as Dumbledore. <laughs>
1: I'll have to, I'll have to read up on that. You're guiding us. To
0: to You're guiding us that. through the magic.
1: Ah, okay. Now <laughs> I get it. I haven't, I must admit, I've seen a number of them, but I haven't uh, followed them as closely as I probably should. as much as the rest of the world has
0: oh they're just a lot of fun so there you go now you have to see it
1: uh, maybe i'll uh, have as part of our uh, program sometime the cast of uh, harry potter
0: oh that would be fun talk
1: about all their magic that would be really fun fun.
0: oh Uh, yes yes let's see how many how many things we can mix up and conjure up with them
1: (laughs) (laughs) i like that i like that you know um In thinking about health all the time and our magical medical tour, most of my uh, guests so far have been physicians, and our ultimate goal for this is not just about Western medicine, but all of the healing arts. And obviously, I had many choices of what other directions to go for this show, Mm -hmm. and I picked homeopathy, but I didn't pick it because of the topic itself Uh, I picked it because of the person that we're going to be meeting today Dr. Lori Grossman there's so many things about her that are important that I thought it was more important and it just happened to be that she speaks on homeopathy among other things Mm. She's she's an international writer and speaker she's an educator she's the chair of the Department of Humanism at the American Medical College of Homeopathy She speaks to the world, she teaches medical students, trains doctors, and works in many parts of the world helping people when they need it the most, and we're going to speak about all that. Mm -hmm. So I would like to welcome my great friend and guest, Dr. Lori Grossman. Hello, Lori. Mm
2: -hmm. Hi, Glenn, Mm -hmm. and boy, that was such a lovely introduction. Thank you very much.
0: Hello, Lori. Welcome to the show. We're so honored to have you with us. Hey, Christina.
1: It's it's true, though, and I, I started thinking about uh, how I would introduce you, and there are so many things to you I could take an hour. And then I thought, well, what would the one question I would have since I took up the whole hour? But I decided to shorten the intro and let people know about you through our conversation.
2: Okay, so, I appreciate as that. A med-
1: yeah, as a medical guide, I always like to give everyone that's listening sort of a path that we're going to take today and it will start out with some of your personal life then we'll get into what homeopathy is some explanations and we'll move into how it's used and then we'll we will talk about some very interesting things that you've done around the world using uh, your knowledge.
2: Okay, sounds How's like a good sound? plan. Yeah, sounds great.
1: Good. So I want to start, I usually ask, what what brought you into the healing arts? I know you started out in chiro or went towards chiropractic and then moved on. So fill us in a little bit. What drew you to, to health and healing and what brought you where you are today?
2: Um, well, it began long before the chiropractic school. I don't think I was... Uh, it's not so much that I was interested in becoming a healer. I think I was born into it for as far back as I can remember. I, I just enjoyed, um, making people better when I was little. I remember people would ask me, what did I want to be when I grew up? Or they'd ask me and my brothers, what we wanted to be when we grew up. My older brother always said a doctor. And I always said, I wanted to help people feel better. So I don't think I had a name for what I wanted to be. I just knew I had a descriptive for what I wanted to do. And I remember as a little kid going, in, going for walks in the woods, which I always loved, and um, taking books that were written for children on Native American healing. I remember picking clovers mm. and making teas for my aunt whenever she was sick. And I would love it when my mother went into Manhattan and she would always come home with a headache. And I remember, (laughs) and and I remember taking little balls of cotton and soaking them in water and putting them on her forehead. And I enjoyed that activity of making someone or allowing someone to feel better. So it began long before I had a name for it. It began long before chiropractic school. I think I, I enjoyed the action of helping someone to feel better.
0: Oh,
1: beautiful! Wow, that's great, and even more so using natural products and even those things—such a foreshadowing of things to come. Yeah, I know that's that.
2: Really... that it's, it's a fun story.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. So I want to—I want to get right into homeopathy, okay, as a concept, and I know that. You, you have a very unique position in that you not only teach at the College of Homeopathy, but, but you also teach at medical schools and at uh, large treatment centers and hospitals. You're educating many different people. So what's the definition that you give to people to describe homeopathy?
2: Um, A simple definition is homeopathy is a complete system of medicine that uses micro doses or ultra low doses of natural substances to strengthen the body. So it has the ability to restore order and to bring back balance into the various systems of the body. It sounds so cold when put that way, but that's actually what it, what it does entail.
1: All right, so let's warm it up a little bit. Okay, great. Uh, Many of the uh, healing systems use different types of life forces. And Mm -hmm. homeopathy also considers that there's a life force, a vital force.
2: Yes, exactly. And I think that homeopathy, I would guess, is probably the most misunderstood of all the holistic integrative um, treatment therapies. Because when, when, Homeopaths and homeopathic labs create uh, homeopathic medicines. They're ultra low dose, so people think they're they're um, very weak. But it's not so much that they're the ultra low doseicity is actually so that any of the toxic effects of the natural substance are removed. So. Whenever anybody comes to my office who's never tried homeopathy before, one of the very first things that they say to me is, what are the side effects? And homeopathy has the fewest negative side effects of most any natural therapy because it uses such low doses of natural substances. The thing is, and this is what makes homeopathy such a challenge, is that because they're so low in potency, they must be matched Um, very specifically to the individual. There's no homeopathic remedy for headaches. There's no homeopathic remedies for ulcerative colitis or the homeopathic remedy for anxiety. Each person with those ailments needs a different homeopathic remedy or an individually selected homeopathic remedy because it's so low in dose, it needs to be matched very accurately.
1: And that's that's what, people in the university uh, learn how to take a history and do an examination to find that match? Is that a lot of what this is about?
2: Yes, very much so. And and I say to my students who study homeopathy with me, I said, after you've been studying it for 10 years, you can call yourself a beginner because currently there are about 4,000 different natural substances that are used in homeopathy. And this compares to, let's just say, a typical psychiatric practice where a psychiatrist will really need to know well maybe 20 medicines. So the exponential growth in the number of medicines a homeopath has to master requires a tremendous amount of study, but that's what's the beauty of homeopathy. You can really match the symptoms to the substance so, you know, particularly so you see a, a – um, Improvement in health, in a vast improvement in health in many of the different systems of the body.
1: Hmm. That's, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, I must admit that in all of the uh, different healing systems, it is the most puzzling to me from the scientific point of view when you talk about the dilutions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, however, I will also say that I love the concept because every once in a while if I need a medication... Sometimes I go to a homeopathic state of mind and say, maybe I'll take the lowest, lowest, lowest dose of this medicine so I'll get the least side effects and my body will know what to do with it. So even though I don't understand the homeopathy from its its own science, I do believe in it and it, and it works for me.
2: Well, I think that scientific theory and scientific uh, inquiry has not been able to quite answer the question of how does a homeopathic medicine work. Now, you know, I'm not sure that we really know how many medicines, even allopathic medicines. I don't know if we know exactly why acupuncture works. So just because we don't understand the mechanism completely doesn't mean there isn't validity to the system.
1: As long as you're not doing harm and watching people get better. Right. I mean, the nice uh,
2: homeopathy homeopathy is not a new science, though. It's been around for 250 years. So we do know quite well where homeopathy is appropriate and where it wouldn't be. So we, you know, homeopaths who've studied the history of the medicine and really understand where and when to use different remedies. Um, we might not understand the mechanism, but we certainly understand where and when to use it. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Laurie, I have a question with, uh, Homeopathic medicines, I mean, uh, they're all natural. Are, are they derived from plant sources? Some are.
2: And um, I think that's why homeopathy is very frequently um, confused with herbology. Hmm. But uh, plants are only one of the sources. It's also many homeopathic remedies come from minerals like calcium or, or uh, their remedies that come from regular table salt. Then there are homeopathic remedies that come from extracts from different animals, and I'll make sure I preface that by saying no animal is ever harmed in the creation of a homeopathic medicine. But there's certain homeopathic medicines that can come from, uh, let's say, the bee venom is one homeopathic medicine that's been ultra diluted. And from various other animals, They're di- they serve as different sources for other homeopathic remedies. So there's a greater variety of sources than just the herbs and the plant sources.
0: I see. Okay. And and so that's quite a difference from like Ayurvedic medicine. Yes.
2: And, and also homeopathy is the only um, integrative medicine that uses these sources in a ultra diluted form and in a form that actually brings out more of its energetic um value as opposed to its crude chemical value. Mm.
0: Oh, interesting. Hmm. Oh, well, the little I know, I have been using it on myself and my child for years now. <laughs> so <laughs> and,
2: and and since since you just mentioned that about using it for your child, when I was speaking to Glenn earlier when we were working on create you know putting the show together, he asked me a question that I think is an excellent question, and that is, what did I think of homeopathic remedies that are sold in health food stores?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Glenn, is it okay if I answer that question now?
1: Um, I, uh, I think well, it's, I was going to,
2: <laughs> but where are you going to get there? I, I don't want to miss the opportunity cause it's actually one of my pet issues. And that is, I think it's fabulous that homeopathic remedies are sold in health food stores cause that makes them more accessible. But I think that's where all the fabulosity ends. I think you're in Europe. They have a system that works a lot better. Homeopathic medicines are sold only in pharmacies in Europe and in Asia and South America and they're not sold in health food stores, the reason being that the pharmacist is trained in homeopathic medicine, and mm-hmm. so they know how to recommend the different remedies and in what potencies. I don't think that in the average health food store in the United States, the person behind the counter really knows the the system mm-hmm. of homeopathic medicine, how to select the appropriate homeopathic medicine, how to take it, and in what dosage to give it, so I think in the states we might have homeopathy all over the place because we have so many health food stores and I greatly appreciate the contribution to well-being that health food stores do provide. But I do think in terms of homeopathy there are many people that try homeopathic remedies that try it in an incorrect manner and unfortunately don't get the best results and they also have never find out mm. the potential of a properly prescribed homeopathic medicine
0: mm, mm. that's that's great information to have and i agree with you i mean they really don't know anything about it no. <laughs> i can remember the first time i went in and said how do we use this <laughs> right
2: and also you know they have these beautiful displays that say for headaches take this for you know colds take that but For headaches, there are probably 500 different homeopathic remedies to choose from, and it's not just that one that's mentioned in the display of the store. So the lucky person who needs that one remedy benefits, and the unlucky people who don't need that medicine and actually need a different homeopathic medicine Mm -hmm. never get the help that they want, and unfortunately, they're left by saying, well, I'd like homeopathy, but it just doesn't work for me.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm understand
1: that. That seems seems to happen with, uh, in my experience, with a number of the healing uh, methods, uh, acupuncture and chiropractic and uh, Ayurvedic. Many times people do their own version of these things or they take it or they do something when they're not ready for it or it's not working in the proper way with their conventional medicine Mm -hmm. and they get an experience that didn't help them and so they move into the concept of oh this isn't good
2: right and actually it works the other way as well someone who goes to a health food store fortunately picks the correct homeopathic remedy fortunately takes it the right way and they get a nice result they walk away saying i love homeopathy (laughs) but that's just as silly an expression if someone said i just love advil or Mm. i just love penicillin they're not understanding the value of it as a medicine mm-hmm. and it's I don't know I, I have a hard time with with loving my medicines you know <laughs> I think we need to understand it a bit better than that
1: wow wait what's the most interesting part of teaching at a medical school for you
2: what's the most interesting part well
1: you're, I mean, I, I, when I you're think, walking, when you're working with students that are based in evidence-based medicine and science and double-blind, placebo-controlled studies, and that's the kind of medicine we want to practice, how do they respond to you?
2: I'm I'm a, a an angel because they most when I teach at um, certainly when I teach at medical hospitals. I'm working with nurses and doctors who have experience in the field. So they know the limitations of the medicines. They know for which conditions they're still stymied. They know which medications don't always provide them with the responses or the results they want. So they know they're, they're yearning to better their outcomes and they know where they can, they know the areas for which they're looking for some improvement. It's fabulous when I work with someone who's been in practice for years. There's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I work with pediatricians and the pediatricians, you know, we're reviewing different remedies and then we get to, let's say, remedies for otitis media, ear infection. And you see all these, these pediatricians perk up because they're tired of giving an Mm -hmm. antibiotic, a second antibiotic, a third antibiotic to the same child who's just not responding. They're thrilled to have a new option. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's right. In fact, that made me, uh, and I don't, I don't know if this is the option you're thinking of, but through a homeopathic uh, physician, they taught me that it's really, there's a a sugar process that goes on. in the young children who have uh, very shortened eustachian tubes and they're eating either too much sugar or too much dairy. And this is one of the reasons that uh, they feel or they felt that they taught me was a cause for these recurrent otitis Mm -hmm. infections. And once I started telling people that, they stopped the antibiotics. They didn't have to get those tubes, the tympanoplasties, uh, and uh, life became greater. Wow. No,
2: it, it, it's wonderful when you can really provide a solution for something that's been a frustration for the physicians, for the family. I mean, imagine the joy for me when I'm working with physicians that are associated with a cancer center and I can offer them a homeopathic remedy that will lessen the anxiety before surgery or a homeopathic remedy that'll lessen the nausea after certain Mm -hmm. treatments or lessen the burning after radiation treatments or the bone pain. I mean, the, the years of alternative medicine are over. And I think that phrase alternative medicine grew from a time when we had conventional medicine and then you had to make a choice between going that route or the other route. And there was like a, you know, a a iron curtain between the two. You couldn't tell your allopathic physician that you were trying anything outside the convention. And you couldn't tell your acupuncturist, chiropractor, herbalist, you know, any holistic, you know, therapist that you were going to a conventional MD. We didn't work together in those days. And I think the term integrative medicine shows a whole shift in our consciousness because we're integrating things. We're learning which modality, which therapy is best for which patient at which time. And it could shift. Mm -hmm. One patient can benefit from acupuncture when they have a sciatica at 18 They can benefit from conventional medicine when they're in an accident when they're 25 and when they're 32 and develop some sort of anxiety disorder. Homeopathy can help. And that's really the great growth or the step forward we're making in medicine now that we are really beginning to work together, work as a team, and help the patient the most without having to drag them into our camp and keep them there with us.
1: Mm that's one of the other things that I think is so important about having you on today. You're not just all those things that we spoke about, writer and educator and everything, but you're also a thought leader. You, you have a real interest in, in changing the dialogue, and you, you do go around the world talking about that. Do you find that uh, there's a difference in your receptivity uh, in other countries versus this country?
2: Um, there is, and that's fortunate and unfortunate. It's fortunate because I think that there are many other cultures that have a trust for natural medicines, um, far greater than we have in in the United States. And I also think that, um, there's not in most other countries, not, there's not such a great push for highly technological interventions. I think many other cultures are much more comfortable trying a natural um, avenue or a, a um, low-impact avenue first. And then, of course, if that doesn't work, they'll look for greater intervention or a more technological intervention, a higher-cost intervention. I, I think that we the United States actually stands out in being the one country that really – uh, favors high tech, high cost medicine above all else. I, I haven't seen that in any other country I've been in. <laughs> and and you know, uh, I will, I I don't blame it on the MDS. A lot of people do. They say you know the doctors are pushing this. Of course, I think part of it comes from their training. But I also think that the medical doctors in the United States are not exposed to the other modalities while they're in med school. I think it's the bright, curious, uh, inquisitive MD who wants to go on to study after he graduates. But it's very different once you've created your or once you've built your pattern Once you say, okay, this is the way I treat such and such disorder to then start to study afterwards and start to shift from that initial base. In other schools, I think they're taught a broader um, range of options while they're in medical school. So they create their own method of treatment as they're going through school, as opposed to having a basic plan that now they have to shift.
1: Speaking of shifting, I, I know that yes. you also have uh, brought the concept of holistic nursing mm-hmm. into hospitals. And I, being in emergency medicine, I always had an appreciation for nurses. Uh, even back to medical school, uh, when I was starting to work on the wards and learning uh the vast amount of things that were put before me, the nurses who had been there for a long time already knew all the things that I was about to learn. So, so many times they saved my life uh, and I have a great appreciation for them. And I, and when I watched the holistic part, it seems like nurses are, are naturally holistic anyway, but what kind of changes were brought to nursing by taking on a holistic approach?
2: Oh goodness. Um you're bringing up the best and and the wor- and the biggest challenges of nursing. I think that nurses always acknowledge the personal side of caring. Uh you know, that was started with Florence Nightingale and Clara Barton and their um their legacy is strong throughout their tradition. I think in, perhaps in the 80s and the 90s Uh, nursing began to lose some of its holistic touch it you know there was a tremendous push towards people becoming nurse practitioners and focusing on keeping up with the technological advances of the time but I think that nursing has always stressed the personal part of healing, and there was a huge cry from nurses to restore that connection with the patient. I taught at NYU's um, School of Nursing. I taught at the College of New Rochelle. Both those schools developed programs in holistic nursing, and their nurses really, because they're so close to the patient, I think that they... They have such a desire to lessen suffering and such a desire to make healing happen in the most gentle way possible. And so they're less attached to what therapy they're going to use as they are attached to the comfort of the patient. And that's fabulous because these nurses really want to know what can I do to make my patient heal in the gentlest and most complete way possible. And so homeopathy is very attractive to them.
1: Hmm. Uh, same way with nursing. When I hear that someone talks about a nurse that wasn't attentive or something like that, I know they work very hard and, and they are holistic and it's great that you do that. One of the fields that, uh, is always interesting to me is emergency medicine, which I worked in for many years and I worked in disasters and disaster planning. In fact, I'm going to potentially be giving a lecture, uh, in a few months to a disaster committee. Uh, but I know that you work in disasters. You had a disaster in New York that most of us have heard about by now, uh, and you were very involved in that and some international things. Can you give us a little bit of your concept of how to work in a disaster and why homeopathy is so important during major uh situations like an earthquake or a tsunami or something else? Sure.
2: Sure. I'd love to. Well, my entree into the world of disasters was quite unexpected, which I would imagine it might be for many people. I taught at NYU at their school of nursing and I was teaching um, on September 11th at nine o'clock in the morning. It was the first class of the semester. And I was starting my class by teaching what I think is one of the most important homeopathic medicines, and it's the remedy Aconite, which is a valuable remedy for people who are suffering from um, uh, great anxiety. Actually, anxiety isn't even the word for it, panic attack or terror. And as I was teaching this, as I said, I was down at NYU, which is just a few blocks from the World Trade Towers. And, um, we got a report of what had just happened and a television set was rolled into my room and together we watched the plane, the second plane hit the tower and we watched both towers collapse. And every person in my class had a relative or a friend who was either down downtown or connected with, um, the Tribeca area. And so I just, I mean, we were speechless. So I said to everyone, I promise you, I'm going to let you out of the classroom, but I want you to feel what it's like to be in this room right now. And we were quiet and everybody could feel this absolute terror that was building in the room and great, great concern for our survival and everybody else's survival. And, um, I wound up telling the students that this is the remedy aconite it's used for Post-traumatic stress disorder, it's used to heal great fear that follows earthquakes, tsunami, um, a horrible car accident. It helps to, to strengthen the body when it's under that tremendous stress so that it can de- then restore order to the emotional um, being and also the physical being if someone goes into physical shock. And I later was asked by uh, the physicians and nurses who were working at NYU if I could not help them to treat many of the people who wound up um, needing treatment after the, the towers fell. And such began my work in the disaster areas. And it was so clear to me how homeopathy became a critical part of the care of so many of the people there. I wound up being called in to work with many of the family members of the people who died in the towers to deal with tremendous grief and the various different physical ailments that can follow tremendous grief. And then, um, I was, I then worked in Haiti. I was in, uh, Bali right after the bombing in Ubud and the discotheque there. And so, It's through my experiences in these places, I've seen that homeopathy can help to heal people in ways that there are no other therapies that can. Um, I actually have a a crazy notion in my head that um, one day all the airports and all the subway stops in the world will have a canister of this homeopathic medicine, aconite that in an emergency it will be available um, should there be any terrorist attack or any horrific emergency that does set people into this anxious or terrified state so that people can at least keep their composure to act in the best way possible and to help as many people as possible.
1: Speaking of that, that, wow, I have to breathe for a moment here. Uh, I saw a number of photos of you while you were in Haiti, and it looked like at one point you were giving a lecture to a class of people. Were you trying to give education to people there so that they can help you in your homeopathic uh, process, Homeopaths Without Borders? Were you teaching them so that they could go out and give the medications and work with you at that time?
2: Well, I was working with Homeopaths Without Borders at the time, and the American Medical College of Homeopathy um, has partnered with Homeopaths Without Borders on more than one occasion. And one of the things we're committed to is empowering the people of the communities where we're working. So that when we went to Haiti, we didn't want to just go there and act as saviors. We really wanted to train the people in Haiti so that they could take care of their own people. And as it started, we started working with 20 nurses who then came back with 40 nurses who then came back with 80 nurses. And I think the picture that you have, that room was filled to capacity that day with 120 nurses and the classes just grew and grew. And the reason being that homeopathy was very effective. The action, was the response to the homeopathic medicines were quick. There were no side effects. And that it was easy to integrate into the current treatment protocols that were set up in the hospitals. And currently, I'm working with physicians in Afghanistan to do a similar program there, and, um, people had, I mean, there's a program right now in Africa that Jeremy share is running. That's a fabulous program in Tanzania where they're getting excellent results in a project where they're dealing
0: with a lot of people with AIDS. Hmm. Wow. Um, Lori, I have a question when, when you go into these disaster areas and these disaster zones, and I mean, um, what, what is it that you, what is the first, Thing or or experience. What is the first experience when you step into these situations? What is the
2: first experience? Yes.
0: Is it the fear of the people? Is it a lot of? Um, is it their health issues?
2: Oh no 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 no. The, the, if you really want the first experience, the first experience is getting off the plane, <laughs> and 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 there's so much that comes at you. It's not fear. It's, it, for me, I, um, it's like getting invited to, I, I don't want to use the word party because that, I don't know, that puts it down, but it's almost like that. It's stepping into a completely unknown world mm-hmm. and there are new sounds, there's new smells, there's new sights. It's a whole, it, it's, an un, it's completely unexpected. And so it's definitely not fear. It's just, I almost think it's just allowing the senses to grasp it. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's closer to overwhelm because there's just this sense of taking it all in. I would imagine it would be the same as if you took an infant into a carnival, that Mm -hmm. there's just so much coming at you. You almost have to... You know uh, in the olden days when I was younger <laughs> they, <laughs> <Olden day? laughs> they, they, babies didn't sit in in strollers yes. they went in carriages, and generally you didn't just take a baby in a carriage, you had a baby in a carriage where they were lying down, and there was this mesh that was over the carriage, mm-hmm. which acted almost like a a um transparent shell which kept out the tremendous amount of impulse or not uh, not impulse um uh the the in input. all the things thank you the input that was coming in, and I think that 's a little bit of what it 's like when you get to these places mm. there 's just so much your breath's taken away mm. that 's the first mm. thing that happens
0: so you guys take a lot of the aconite before you leave the plane <laughs>
2: <Yeah. laughs> i I think that's a mm. good suggestion. I never recommended it, but it might be i I think i'm a, a accustomed to it for me it it doesn't bring on fear it's mm-hmm. there's something that happens in disaster areas that is heartwarming mm. and heartwarming because you for, everyone in a disaster area forgets about the nonsense of life and you just connect with people and there's something there that is so beautiful and so touching and so heartwarming that disaster areas are very special places it's where we are all human again
0: mm. Beautiful. And, and now uh, what happens when you, when you go there, you bring your medicines there and is it distributed amongst the nurses that are there? And then how do they keep up with this after you leave?
2: Well, there's two different settings. There's the clinical setting where We treat people are brought to us where we treat them, which involves the whole language barrier and cultural changes. So that's something I want to address as well. And then in terms of training the nurses, they don't train with us on site. Generally, we have to sit with them in another location so that we could really give them a good foundation in homeopathy. Otherwise, we're doing what the health food store is doing. We're saying take this for this and this for that. And we want to really make sure that they have a firm foundation. And I know Homeopaths Without Borders is committed to that. The American Medical College of Homeopathy is um, committed to that. um, The different projects in Africa are committed to that. And that is there's really time set aside to train someone properly. And then we could leave them with remedies. And then we could leave them with books. And depending on where the tragedy has occurred, sometimes we leave them with computers to keep in touch with us. Thank God for Skype. Yes. Um, And thank God for WebEx and all these wonderful technological advances that keep us in touch. Mm. So we really make sure that they're well-trained. I'd rather leave people in other countries with less medicines and more knowledge than more medicines and less knowledge.
0: Mm, mm, That makes a lot of sense. So you continuously keep in touch with them all through this time? Without a doubt. And is it, so this team um, that you work with, is it uh, it a nonprofit organization? Is it funded by the governments?
2: Homeopaths Without Borders is a not-for-profit. The American Medical College of Homeopathy is a Mm not-for-profit. And the American Medical College for Homeopathy is now being reviewed by the UN for NGO status. So that will actually expand our outreach and um, expand the number of places we can enter because NGO status allows you to enter into a whole vast realm.
0: Wow. Amazing. What a journey that you're taking. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wonderful work. So, Lori. Yes.
1: You're speaking of homeopathy, and I'm thinking about the people that know you and want to go to you, but there are many people around the country, physicians and people that are looking for healers, how does one find a homeopathic Mm -hmm. doctor and how does one determine that that person is as good as Dr. Lori?
2: Okay, excellent question. Um, The National Center for Homeopathy has a website, which is nationalcenterforhomeopathy.org. And they have a directory, which is divided according to state and location. Um, the National Society for Homeopaths in the United States also has a website, NASH, and they have homeopaths that are um, listed also according to location. The, uh, there is a certification in the United States now for a well-trained homeopath. This is something that's new. But most well-trained homeopaths have gone for this certification, and it's the CCH certification. So I would say that that is certainly something to look for. If you want to um, contact a homeopath that you find in a a directory, I would certainly make sure they've been in practice for 5 or 10 years. You want to go to someone who's had experience. Um, you could ask them where they've gone to school. You don't want someone who's taken a weekend course or a 40 hour course. You want someone who's taken at least a 400 hour course more than that's even better. Um, they, there are, there are some well-credentialed schools in the United States. There's an excellent school, Teliosis in Boston. There's a school in LA. There's a school in Seattle. There's schools in Minneapolis, Um, the American Medical College of Homeopathy in Phoenix. Those are all good schools. There's a school in Florida. But you want to make sure that the person has studied classical homeopathy. You want to make sure that they have a good foundation in classical homeopathy.
0: Yes?
1: So when you talk about – that was good. Thank you. When you talk about classical homeopathy, uh, I get the sense that there are different uh, systems sometimes and different homeopaths follow different systems. Is that correct? Or am I going in a wrong direction?
2: Many of them are valid. I think, unfortunately, many professions, you know, many professionals within a profession get caught up in which system is the best. And generally, it's not so much your system as the diligence of the practitioner. Um, But I do think that if you're going to spend the time to go to a homeopath, you want to go to someone who's prescribing one homeopathic medicine at a time, okay. because they've studied the effects of one medicine on the body at a time. I think there's nothing wrong with combination remedies, but I think that they've been created more for the layperson and the consumer who doesn't have a strong background in homeopathy, who who would benefit from a combination of various remedies that have been put together because they'll increase the likelihood of a response. But I don't think you want to be spending your good hard earned money on someone who's going to combination remedies and calling themselves a professional homeopath because they should know the remedies better to know which one in particular is going to have a greater uh, beneficial effect on you.
0: Ooh, that's very Two quick questions. Yep.
1: One, can you overdose on a homeopathic medicine? And two, do foods uh, affect the homeopathic medicine?
2: Okay, both of those questions have long answers. So remind me of the questions as I approach them.
1: First of all... Christina, that'll be your job.
0: (laughs) Oh no, I'm just drinking all this information up. I love it. The age of the interviewer is revealed by how
2: well we remember our questions, right? Um, Anyway, in terms of food interfering, um, when I started studying homeopathy, there was a long list of things I was told would interfere with homeopathic medicines, mint and coffee and x-rays and this, that, and the other thing. And the longer I was in practice, the more I realized that you can't make these blanket statements. There's some people that when they take a homeopathic medicine, it really doesn't matter what they eat and they do fine. There are other people who have very sensitive systems and they're very sensitive to different substances. And then there are more things that it can interfere. And I think that um, for the best results, it's best to go to a professional homeopath who can select the right remedy for you and tell you which foods to avoid. For that that person who either doesn't have the access to a homeopath or doesn't have the funds to pay for a visit to a homeopath and is going to try to treat themselves in a health food store or remedies selected that way, I think that if on the package of the homeopathic medicine you buy, it says avoid X, Y, and Z, you're better off just to avoid X, Y, and Z. And the things that can interfere with homeopathy the most, I would say, are probably coffee, Perhaps mint, perhaps vinegar, but I feel silly saying that because there's so many remedies who that aren't I- impacted by that at all. So best to go to a good homeopath and find out, or to, or to read a good book on homeopathy and to read what things might interfere with what remedies. Now there was another question:
0: overdosing. Overdose. <laughs> oh. oh yay!
1: Um, it,
2: it, you know, it's I'm thrilled that you asked that because one of the most common ways not to take a homeopathic remedy correctly is by taking too much of it. So homeopathy works by um, raising the energy of the body, strengthening the vitality of the body so that the body is better able to bring things into balance. Once things are brought into balance, you don't have to keep bringing them into balance. So I think one of the most frequent abuses of homeopathic remedy is to take too much of it, and for too long. So, generally, I'll tell a patient, take this remedy. If it's a, first of all, lay people should not take anything higher than a 30C potency. 30C is about as high as you should go and an, a good potency to buy of a homeopathic remedy in a health food store. If you're taking a 30C potency of a remedy, generally, you can. It's um, For most remedies, it's suggested that you take two to three pellets four times a day until you see improvement and then either start cutting back or discontinue use and stop because once your body has responded to the remedy, you don't have to keep giving the remedy. Now, you could start again if the beneficial results of the remedy disappear and the symptoms return, then you just start again. But homeopathy is very different than conventional medicine. In conventional medicine, you take a medicine for a certain condition, you show a response, and you go, Wahoo, I have a response, I'm going to stay on this medicine. For homeopathy, it's the opposite. It's, Wahoo, I responded to the remedy, so now I don't have to keep taking it.
1: Boy, I know a lot of people that don't like to take medicines like that as a concept. Yeah. Speaking about medicines and and speaking about Emergencies. Right. Uh, do, do you have a kit at home that you take if you ever had to evacuate? And do you have some kind of a kit that you would recommend? What would be the top three uh, homeopathic medications that everyone should have in their escape bag if there's a disaster and they have to leave their house?
2: Well, I think that every medical medicine cabinet that is sold in the world should come with these three homeopathic medicines. Aconite, which is the Latin name for it, is Aconitum napellus, and that's what the label will say if someone wants to buy it. Aconitum napellus, and that's the homeopathic remedy that's that's recommended most highly for terror, and that's the homeopathic remedy that is recommended for PTSD most frequently. There are many others as well, but that's one. The other remedy, and it's probably one of the most commonly sold remedies in the world today, is Arnica. And that's for um, swelling, bruising, soreness. So that's more for physical trauma. If something falls on someone, if someone breaks a leg, if someone has a big swelling, uh, soreness, bruising, that's the remedy Arnica, which is the full Latin name is Arnica Montana. And probably for disaster relief, I would say the third most common remedy is the remedy Hypericum, which is a remedy for injury to nerves. So if there's been an injury to areas uh, that are rich in nerves, such as um, the base of the spine, uh, the fingers, the toes, the tongue, the lips, uh, the genitals, if there's been any sort of impact to those regions, then hypericum will will help to heal the nerves so there's not as much shooting pain. We used um, hypericum tremendously in Haiti also because there were so many people that had nerve damage and had to have amputations. It was a, one of the main remedies for the pain oh. from the amputation.
0: Oh. I know. I'm with <clears> you, Glenn, on that one. I had to take a deep breath on that one as well.
1: <laughs> we yeah. talk about uh, it, naturopathy. Hear yeah. There's not a lot. Is mm-hmm. they, are they the same? Are they different? How are well, they the same? How are they different?
2: Naturopathy is just a bigger umbrella of which homeopathy is underneath that. So homeopathy okay. is a subset of naturopathy. Naturopathy is pretty much the the whole um, whole of natural medicines. It includes chiropractic, bone manipulation, herbology, water therapies, um, various the use of various mineral. Uh, sub- supplements. So naturopathy is a much broader um, umbrella. Homeopathy is much more specific within that. It's just, it's simply the medical system and the, um, the prescription of natural medicines that are made homeopathically in a homeopathic lab of which all are FDA approved. Um, whereby a natural substance is processed in a certain way that dilutes its um, harmful side effects and brings out the healing effects of the substance, which brings to mind something I want to mention, and that is that another big difference between homeopathy and herbology is that all homeopathic medicines are made in homeopathic-approved labs and homeopathic medicines are FDA approved in the United States. Hmm. Herbs are, herbs fit into a whole different category. There, they do, there, whereas homeopathic medicines are approved as over the counter medicines in the same way that an aspirin would be approved by the FDA, herbs are approved as a food substance. So it doesn't undergo the rigor of the testing that a homeopathic medicine would in terms of having to show its medicinal value and its healing capabilities.
0: Interesting. Mm. Um, Laurie, we have a question that just came in. And and, uh, the question is, um, what's a good remedy for terror of public speaking so I can calm my nerves before speaking in front of a large audience?
2: (laughs) Well... It's funny that you say that. It, it, unless um, most people who are, have fear of public speaking, it's generally, I consider it fear or anxiety of public speaking. When I'm talking about terror, I'm talking about you're absolutely certain you're going to die. So in other words, someone who um, is going to be speaking publicly, generally they don't think they're going to die. They think they may pass out. <laughs> they think that they might, you know, mess up. They think they might destroy their whole career. But that's a far cry from terror, mm-hmm. even if it's extreme fear or extreme fright. There's a homeopathic medicine called gelsemium. And that is one of the homeopathic remedies that's given for people who are very anxious before an event. So mm-hmm. they're more anxious about their performance. They're more anxious about getting through it okay. So it's a fabulous remedy for someone before a job interview, before an exam, before having to um, get on stage and perform. It's it's the remedy that's associated with instead of absolute terror. It's the remedy that's associated with butterflies and weak butterflies in the belly and weak knees. A little, di- a little different, a di- different in intensity. And of, and of course, whoever the, the caller is, I, w- I would love to speak to you at length because perhaps you are absolutely certain you're going to die. And if that's the case, then aconite is the
0: remedy for you. <laughs> oh, just go get both of them. No. <laughs> um, another, yep, yep. Uh, another question had come in. Um, how long can you keep Arnica in your cabinet and is a liquid better than a tablet form?
2: No, there's no difference between liquid and tablet. That's just personal preference. Mm -hmm. And um, how long can they last? Believe it or not, homeopathic remedies actually do not expire. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now, that doesn't mean they don't have an expiration date. There's a difference. Do not expire means um, they will maintain their healing capabilities so long as they're stored correctly. So in a cool, dry, dark place. Unfortunately, in this country, we tend to store most of our medicines in a cabinet in the bathroom where we have hot showers and perfumes and fragrance, you know, fragrant lotions and potions, or we, or we keep it in the kitchen where we turn on stoves, we have the you know the fragrant smell of various delicious things on the stovetop. And so those aren't the two best places to store it, but that's where most people do store their homeopathic remedies. But if stored um, correctly in the top shelf of a closet so kids can't get to it, in a dresser drawer where a child can't get to it, that's actually where you can store the most better and they'll last forever. Mm. I know some homeopaths who are fourth-generation homeopaths, and they're still using the medicines that their grandfathers used oh, quite effectively. Mm. As a matter of fact, there is a fabulous homeopath from Canada that I love, Helen Hardingfield, who uses the remedies that her grandfather used. Mm. Now, that said, homeopathic remedies, when sold in the U.S., will have an expiration date on them. And so the homeopathic labs can only sell those remedies until a certain date. And they only need to assure that when stored properly, the medicine will be effective until that date. But actually, remedies will last infinitely if they're stored properly.
0: Mm, Amazing. I I know. I I love that. When when I see people keeping their medicines in their bathroom, I I shudder.
2: (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that's where most people do keep them. And actually, I'm going to put out a little uh, shout out to all the listeners that if the American Medical College of Homeopathy has a um, they're creating a museum and so they are collecting all old um, uh, kits homeopathic kits that were um, put together in the eighteen hundreds from some wow. of the old from some of the old labs so if there are any listeners who have a father a grandfather a grandmother a great grandmother who were homeopaths who have some of their old bottles or their old books around the American Medical College of Homeopathy would love that for their library or for their museum.
0: Mm, fantastic. Um, we have a follow-up question, uh, Laurie, uh, yeah. coming back to the terror of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to use a conite for fear of public speaking and it were used very often, mm, sorry. And if it were used often enough, could it actually become less effective in that case? And that it, tr- when it's truly needed in the real situation of terror? Um, that gets back to what I said before
2: the average person taking the remedies incorrectly and therefore not getting the best value, you know, the optimal value from homeo- homeopathy. Yes, you can take it too often. And yes, you will lose the beneficial effects of the remedy. If you want to, counterbalance that. I would, if you're, you know, if you're a listener and you're sitting there going, Oh my God, how did I do that? You know, I messed up. Don't worry about it. Stop taking the remedy for a while. Don't take it at all for a month or even two, or maybe even three, depending on how long you've been taking it. And then let your system normalize again. And then if you need the remedy at the appropriate time, then you can take it and it'll work like a charm.
0: Wow, so the body almost clears itself of yeah. whatever that home, homeopathic was that was in the right. system. Right. Wow, that's magnificent. The
2: body's always working to heal itself. We just have to help it and not mess it up.
0: Hmm. Um. A, a big question that I've been asking um, a lot of uh, people in the medical field and all these different areas. Um, with homeopathy, uh, do you how how the results the results with working with people with like fibromyalgia or ms or any of those areas um do you see like good results with that oh well you're you're mentioning two uh complaints
2: which i've worked with lots of people Mm -hmm. and i think homeopathy can be very helpful for both those conditions i will also couch it by saying the sooner you get care the better And also, the better your um, uh, health is in general. In other words, someone with MS who had a healthy vitality before they started coming on with the MS symptoms will probably respond fairly well. Mm -hmm. And um, it also, you really, for those conditions, you want to make sure you're working with a homeopath who's been in practice for a long time, especially if you're on medications. And they need to integrate the homeopathy with the taking of various medicines. Mm, mm. That's very, very important.
0: And in those cases, um, do you find that the individual has to stay on the uh, homeopathic medications like they do uh, their regular Western medicine? Um, You
2: mean like the
0: the question, will I have to take this forever? Is that what you mean? Yes. Like if they were on on other medications that they have to take forever.
2: (laughs) Well, well, um, it, it each case is different, you know. I have seen people whose um, multiple sclerosis symptoms um, lessened so much, and their uh, recurrences became so infrequent that they didn't need to take much homeopathy. They might have to take it if they had. A recurrence of symptoms, but in general, they didn't need to take the homeopathy very often. Mm-hmm. And homeopathy generally is a a um, system of medicine where I think people need the medic- need to take the remedies far less than we're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the first time I took a homeopathic remedy was I I had chronic headaches, and I was absolutely gobsmacked when after one dose. My headaches went away. My chronic anxiety that I also had, which I wasn't even coming for, went away. And my body felt stronger and my mood much more even keeled than I had experienced in decades. And I, I it boggled my mind because I didn't expect that at all. And that was after one dose. So and, and it's not so much that the homeopathy was so miraculous. It was just that my body just needed that tiny little bit to push it so that My immune system kicked in and the homeostatic, you know, uh, mechanisms of the body had a chance to do what they had been trying to do so much for so long. Mm.
0: Magnificent.
1: (sighs) I have a few more questions for you. I would like to know if you work with other, I call it combinatorial medicine rather than integrative medicine, but do you ever combine your uh, treatments with, say, acupuncture? Or other healers?
2: Well, I'm a purist. And why am I a purist? I'm a purist because homeopathy is hard enough to learn without my having to learn something else. So I pretty much that's what I offer my patients. I offer my patients the best homeopathic care that I can. And I try to meet with, to um, uh, join with and recommend the best acupuncturists I know, Chiropractors I know, herbalists, nutritionists, I work very well with others and I love working with the people I think are best in their field. And I think that homeopathy is a very demanding um, uh, profession. There's always new remedies to learn. There are an infinite number of symptoms associated with each, each remedy. And therefore, that's the area that I hold myself up to the highest standards. I really want to be a good homeopath. And I will recommend all sorts of other practitioners when I think their modality can help my patients as well. And I love working with other people. I think it's the days of just thinking you're going to be the person's health guru, is, that's, that's, that's been played
1: out. One of, the, one of the things that I like to ask each of my guests is to give all of our listeners a health tip that you have found in your years of experience and journey and education. So is there something you would like to leave our listeners?
2: Trust your guts. I think that
1: <laughs>
2: if someone you know calls an office to see if they want to find a good homeopath and they get the heebie-jeebies, trust your heebie-jeebies. If someone wants to try homeopathy and it doesn't seem like the right thing for them, let it go. If you have a gut feeling that acupuncture is your thing and you're going to do well with it, trust that. And I think people have much a much greater intuitive sense than they give themselves credit. And I think that people, if they trusted their guts they could, the the healing journey could be a much more enjoyable Mm -hmm. journey. You don't have to go to who your sister thought was super duper. You don't have to stick to one modality. And you don't even have to stay with the same, you know, professional your whole career. If you feel like your time has kind of played out, someone did a fabulous job for once in your life, but you're just not benefiting from their care, it's fine to move on. And it's also fine to come back. Hmm. so trust your guts I think um, that's very important
1: hmm. great tip
0: <laughs> oh, I love it <laughs> oh Laurie it's just been uh, such a pleasure and, and there's so much more that we want to ask I think and I know that the clock is ticking away here um, do you, are you planning your travels anytime soon
2: well I will be going to Dubai to train some physicians from Afghanistan That's my next journey to Dubai, to, to Dubai, to train, uh, Afghani physicians. I was going to go to Afghanistan last year and there was, um, a lot of trouble in the region I was going to be in. So instead of planning a trip in Afghanistan, I've planned it to,
0: we're all meeting in Dubai. Mm. So that way it won't get canceled like it was last time. Oh, magnificent. Well, I I guess we're going to have to Skype you in from Dubai. Oh, I love it. I really <laughs> we, would. We need to we need to keep tabs on all your travels around the world, and just uh, so that we can let everyone know the fantastic work that you and that team are doing. Okay, great. It would be my pleasure. Absolutely.
1: Well, I would like to thank and be grateful to my very special guest, Dr. Lori Grossman, who has shared her wisdom and experience with all of us, and we look forward to more of that. Uh, And each week, as we explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, I wish you all optimal health.
0: (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for our wonderful magical medical tour with Dr. Glenn Woolman and Dr. Lori Grossman. Again, thank you, and join us again next week.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.